Hey guys, I'm Tamara Melton. And I'm Deanna Bellany. We are the co-founders of Diversify Dietetics, a nonprofit community dedicated to increasing the racial and ethnic diversity in the field of nutrition and dietetics. Welcome to Feed Me the Facts. Melanie, thank you so much for being on our Feed Me the Facts podcast. I'm so glad to have you on today. Happy to be here. So you have a really interesting background and story. So I'm going to let you go ahead and jump right into it. Can you kind of describe to us your journey to how you became a dietitian and how did you first discover the dietetics profession? Sure. I'll give you a bit of a preamble and you'll understand why in a minute. So my, my mother was raised in Louisiana, Lake Providence, Louisiana, one of the four cities in America. And she was raised by her grandmother and uncle who were sharecroppers. So she grew up on a cotton plantation. And through a series of unfortunate events, you know, one night she went to bed and her grandmother woke her up around midnight holding a shotgun saying, you know what, we have to leave. And there had just been a run-in with the KKK. They feared for their lives. And that night they left and they joined family in Oakland. And she was uh, elementary school age at that time. And from that point on, she had a very hard time basically getting access to education. She had a lot of teachers that did not believe that a Black child deserved an education. And she had to fight for herself because her grandmother wasn't in a place to do so. She, was, she wasn't educated. She didn't feel like she could stand up on behalf of my mother. And so throughout my mother's journey and, you know, trying to get into advanced classes, you know, graduating, going to school, becoming a nurse, she always cherished her education. And she always swore to herself that she would fight for her children in the way that no one was able to fight for her. Fast forward to me and figuring out what I want to do when I get to college. I had no idea what I wanted to be, but she had put me through years and years of programs that helped me figure out what I did not want to be. So, you know, every summer, different program, usually having to do with health in some way. So I had good insight into what it would take to be a pharmacist. And I didn't want to do that. Didn't want to be a nurse. Didn't want to be a doctor. You know, on and on and on. She'd expose me to all these things time for me to pick a major. And she gave me a couple of words of advice. Number one, it was a given that I was going to college. That was never in question. But number two, I had to major in the sciences. I was not allowed to pick a humanities major, which is why I gave you that background. This is usually where someone in humanities gets offended. But, you know, I just always remind just how she came up, her background and how she was trying to protect me. You know, she just didn't feel that that was something practical to do. So had to major. I had to declare. I was not allowed to be undeclared. So I, I opened up the catalog for the UC school system. I was born and raised in, in California. And I started with the uh, astronomy and I read all the way through to zoology. And <laughs> I, you know, put a little star next to everything that sounded halfway interesting and, you know, narrowed it all the way down to nutrition science and food science. And toxicology, I think, were the three that I was considering. And, and in the end, I, I ended up picking food science. So, I mean, that was really it. I had no experience, no knowledge of what it meant to be a dietitian, what dietetics was. It was me sitting in front of that, that catalog with, you know, two criteria, pick a major, has to be science. 
And and that's where I landed. I'm, I'm very thankful I landed in the right place. I, I found out after, I'd say by my, my sophomore year, that I really loved nutrition. I really loved dietetics. It came very naturally to me. All of the science courses, physiology, histology, anatomy, I enjoyed all of them. And, you know, I was very thankful that uh, considered my roundabout way of picking a major, it, it truly was, I feel, what I was meant to do. Wow, that is quite the story. <laughs> From describing your mom all the way through to where, where you are. So hopefully the humanities folks, uh, if you are listening, you're not offended, you know, no harm here. But I definitely understand that I kind of relate to it myself. So so you got it, you're you're in school and tell us a little bit about your your college experience. What college did you go to and your dietetic internship and how was that whole experience of undergrad and grad school for you? So I went to UC Berkeley and uh, majored in nutrition sciences with a emphasis in dietetics. And I love the experience. As I mentioned, uh, it, 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 was, it was a perfect experience for me. I, I thought it was great. I was in the UC Berkeley marching band. So that was just great on a on personal level, really fun experience. And around my junior year, uh, they started talking about dietetic internships and all the things you quote unquote had to do in order to get a dietetic internship. Now, I had been working in a genetics lab for USDA. We were modifying potatoes. I used to always joke, we're building a better potato for tomorrow, but I was a lab tech in a genetics lab. And I kept being told in order to get a dietetic internship, I had to be a diet tech in a hospital. Now, if you'll remember growing up, I had all those exposures to hospitals and, and such, and, and I did not want to do that. And so I ended up becoming an outpatient diabetes educator at Kaiser Permanente my senior year while I was applying for my dietetic internship. And that was a great experience, but definitely one thing I took away from it was I was not meant to save the world one person at a time. And I remember, you know, I was really good at what I did, but I, I knew myself and I thought if I did something like this as a career, I would burn out it would not be good. I, I just didn't have the emotional stamina for the day-to-day one-on-one experience with, with clients and patients. Another takeaway I took from that experience was the importance of food and culture. So I was, you know, it was the basic class. Okay, you have diabetes. Here's how you monitor it. Here is the basics on nutrition. It was about a three-hour introductory class. We do the finger stick at the end. And something I realized going in, this was in Oakland, California, we had very diverse population, which was awesome and fun and exciting. But I was just kind of reading the vibe of all the patients in the room as I was, you know, going through the script. And I remember one day telling my supervisor, who was white, you know, I think a lot of the clients are leaving this class thinking that they can eat fried fish. And she was like, where do you get that? That's nowhere in the script. I was like, well, we're going through the food pyramid and we're saying oils are healthy. And then immediately after that, we point out fish is a very healthy, lean protein. And I'm just saying, I know in the culture I grew up in, fried catfish is very popular. And I can see how people would go there because they seem really excited after I mentioned the fish. <laughs> right. And, and she was like, no, that's ridiculous. Like you, you could bake catfish. I was like, first of all, you can't. And second of all, I really feel just based on how they're reacting after I do that part of the pyramid, how excited certain people are getting, 
I just think the wrong message is getting across. And, you know, she kind of dismissed it. Okay, fine. And so I tried it out on my next class. And so I went through the pyramid, started at the top, fats and oils, went down to, to lean fish. And I, and I stopped and I uh, lean proteins and fish. And I stopped and I said, now, I did not just say you can eat fried catfish. And I kid you not, half the room just stopped, looked at me and went, oh, man. <laughs> right. They're like, oil and fish, fried catfish. Yes. Right, right. And so that was like one of my first, you know what? You really got to understand the background of where people are coming from before you sit down and tell them anything about what they're going to eat. Also, too, I started to really see the importance of people feeling like they can can connect with the person giving them food advice. I, you know, I had people walking up and saying, hey, it's good to see you here. And, you know, hey, they're telling me I I can't eat this. And I say, well, you can't. I'm going to tell you the same thing. But let's look at some other options. And so it was a very interesting experience. By the time my, my, my time there was done, I was there a year, people were calling and requesting me so much so my supervisor got suspicious and wanted to know what I was saying in these classes. <laughs> so <laughs> she, she supervised me. But really, at the end of the day, I can only assume the word got out that they had you know, someone teaching these classes who, quote unquote, got it. And, and this wasn't just with other Black people. I mean, I loved my classes where I'd have just a great mix. I remember my favorite one, that there, were, there was a, a Black man, a Filipino woman, there was, you know, kosher Jewish woman, a Polish. I mean, there was this, this one class that was just the most wonderful mix ever. And, and it was fun. And I just had a great time when we went through the period pyramid making a point to stop and mention, I also have a very diverse background culinarily. So there are certain things I knew to bring up with different audiences to have them say, hey, maybe she gets it. Maybe I, I could bring something else up. So when we talked about oils are great, if I you know, had several Filipino people in the audience, I said, you know what? I'm not saying it's okay to eat lumpia. You know, I'm saying, and then they're like, ooh, okay. So what about this? <laughs> so so anyway, it was a great experience. And again, my, my takeaway was while I had fun, while I feel like I did really good work, I knew personally that can't be how I, I saved the world. And also this importance of culture and food. So fast forward into grad school. So all of that was happening while I was signing up for a dietetic internship. And again, that was my way of sidestepping being a dietetic because I didn't like the hospital environment at all. I'm trying to decide between schools. Again, thinking to my mother's background, you know, she had taught me scrub all your applications for anything that that quote unquote sounds black. So, you know, both for undergrad and both for grad school, I took out anything that sounded like I was a black person. And that was her advice for fear of me not getting into school. And so anyway, one day my advisor tells me she got this call from Tufts and, you know, they were calling her saying, look, we are, we have this scholarship and it's for nutrition communications. And up until this point, I did not know what I wanted to major in in grad school. I felt like I was constantly being pushed towards pediatrics or geriatrics, and I didn't want to do either. And I just remember thinking, you know what, I want to know a lot about a lot of things and help people answer really basic questions. I don't know what that's called. And then someone calls saying, we've got this scholarship for nutrition communications. And I was like, well, what's that? And I looked into it and I thought, oh my gosh, this is it. It's everything I love about an MBA and everything I love about an MPH and nothing of what I hate about both of those master's degree programs. And so that is how I discovered nutrition communications. There are only two schools in America last I checked that teach it, Tufts and I think Baylor. I mean, maybe more by now, but at the time that was it. And Tufts was the only graduate degree in it. So yet again, in my career, I happened upon 
what to me felt like the perfect career choice by accident. And the scholarship was for people of color. And so they were literally looking for people of color, ironically, that I tried to hide in my application. So, so they found me. I went, I you know, checked out the major. It was a great fit. Got accepted into their dietetic internship. It was at Francis Stern Nutrition Center. And so that's what launched me into my, my grad school career. Not as fun as my undergrad. But, <laughs> uh, you know, variety of culture shocks. I, you know, I went from Berkeley, California, Boston which a lot of people said, oh, you'll love it. It's really liberal. That was not my experience. And also just, you know, a couple of stumbling blocks just in my career once I was there, but all in all, a really great experience. And, you know, again, just more and more experiences that helped me see how important it was to connect food to culture and really connect with people on that to build trust, you know, open doors of conversation that are really going to help you provide the best care possible. Oh, that is very interesting. I interestingly just was at Tufts last night um, for a panel. I just flew back in about an hour ago from Boston. So I saw that building. I was actually impressed they had a whole building for nutrition. So I took a video of it. I'm like, I've never been at a university that has their their own building, but they are very well-known nutrition communications program. So, Mm -hmm. So that's really nice. Once you got into college, did you know what area of you, you said that you didn't want to work, you know, one-on-one. And that's a really, mm-hmm. I do want to kind of step back and highlight that, that you said that, because I think that's, that's really key because people, it takes a certain person to be able to do one-on-one individual counseling. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And I have all respect for people with the emotional, emotional stamina to do that. I realized halfway through being a diabetes educator, I did not have that. And so this actually happened while I was at Tufts. We had an optional, well, no, this was not my optional rotation. This was our public health rotation. And again, through a series of events, normally people did that rotation in WIC. And something fell through and I wasn't able to do WIC. They just didn't have a spot available for me. And so they said, okay, we're going to put you in the Department of Public Health. I said, okay. And, you know, I get there, you know, I'm waiting. and, And I run into one of my first mentors, Kathy Cunningham. And I remember she came to get me and it was one of those moments where, you know, again, you don't always put out there that you're a person of color for just to stay safe. And so she saw me and I saw her and we were both black. And there was that moment where we look at each other. We're like, yay! but, you know, play cool, play cool. Cause other people <laughs> right, are watching. Right, 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 right. <laughs> We've all had those moments. Yes. 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 And so she happened to be part of this group called the Boston Organization of Nutritionists and Dietitians of Color. And I joined that group. And that was actually, you know, one of the things that really helped me my second year, as far as me being able to have access to a number of, you know, dietetic focused jobs or gigs at the time that gave me a lot of experience for me to have my first resume after I graduated. But anyway, it was while I was with the Department of Public Health, there were a number of projects she put me on. And I just remember having this epiphany that, you know what, my job, my goal in life is to go around and figure out what are the best practices, what's going on, and just spend my time on that, and then to go back and train the people with the emotional stamina to actually one-on-one help the people. So I'd always joke, I want to help people. I just don't want to talk to them to do it. <laughs> I just, you know, I, w- I want to help that person who's in there day by day. This is their passion. This is their thing. But they need tools. And, you know, and they need they need more information about what's going on out there and what's the latest, but they don't have time to do all that because they're, they're in the thick of it really helping that person. I want to find that for them and I want to give that to them. 
to help them be their very best and deliver that outstanding gold standard experience to a client that's going to help them be compliant with whatever it is they need to do for better health. That's just so key and good that you got that, figured it out early on in your career. You told me about a really interesting story that you had, a difficult challenge that you had while you were in graduate school, but it actually ended up helping you in the long run. Do you mind Mm -hmm. sharing that story? Yes. Yeah. And by no means is this a boohoo story. Just a, you know, it, it worked out very well. So I decided the last minute I wanted to go to grad school. So halfway through senior year, hey, let's go for a graduate degree so I don't hit a glass ceiling. And in so doing that, I told my mother, you know what, I'm going to cover it. You know, your job was helping me in, in undergrad. You know, I'm the last kid out of the house. I was like, you go enjoy yourself. I will figure this out. So rule number one, I had to figure out my finances. And rule number two I had for myself was that I wanted to only have jobs that were, you know, specific to, to dietetics. So again, not to offend anyone, you know, working at the mall is great. I worked at hot dog as a stick and uh, hot dog on a stick in high school. But That's nutrition, right? It's yeah, hey, way, right? <laughs> hey. But, you know, I, I observed through family members and friends that that period when you're in school is very valuable as far as people being very forgiving about hiring you, even though you don't have experience. Once you graduate, you don't have that experience. It's very hard, very fast. And so I said, you know what? I'm not going to use up my time doing any type of a job that is not something I can put on a resume and say, I am a dietetics professional. That said, I had no jobs my first year. (laughs) So it took a while. It took a while. And one of my loans ended up not coming through. So my first summer in Boston, I suddenly was in the situation of where after I paid my rent and after I bought my you know, public transportation pass, I had $40 to buy food for the entire month. And again, not a boohoo story. I could have called my mother, but I thought, you know, I don't know exactly what I want to do, but I know it has something to do with helping people make these hard choices. And we talk a lot about eating well for you know, not a lot of money. And, and what, it, what will this look like if I go ahead and spend this summer $40 a month and just figure that out? And so that's what I did. And it was hard. <laughs> and, you know, and it was an experience. But one of the reasons why I look back on it as positive is my first job out of grad school was in public health, California Department of Public Health, where we were promoting fruits and vegetables in low-income areas where people you know, use SNAP. And Oftentimes, I had to mentally go back to that three-month period, period, period in my life when we were creating education and tips and say, would this have made sense to me? Was, is this a tip that is meaningful to someone in that situation and the situation I lived for three months? And, and yes, there were a lot of times where we'd have information, we'd have tips, we'd have lessons. And I'd look at that and say, nope, that, that would not have worked for me during those three months. We need to try harder. We need to look at this again. Or there were maybe tips that I picked up during those three months I took into that job. And, you know, I would write that in content and people would ask me, oh, is that true? Is that really a thing? And I say, yes, yes, it, yes, it is true. You can get really cheap spices in the quote unquote ethnic session of ethnic section of the grocery store. That's the thing, you know, and, and I was working with people who didn't know that. And so that was very valuable to me. I felt when I started my journey in public health to have that experience. And then the, the second part of that is, you know, uh, remember I mentioned Bond of Color because I was holding out for those nutrition jobs. When I got connected with Bond of Color, I was basically their go-to person because most of the people who were in that group, they were married, they had kids, they get a request for someone to speak at 
an event at eight o'clock on a Wednesday night, they sent me. And, and so, you know, over a series of months, I became a speaker and a lecturer at the YMCA, at Master Gardener's programs, at weight loss programs. And that became the foundation of my resume and my, my experience so that right out of grad school, I went straight into frontline management. This, this whole uh, narrative of, oh, you're going to have to pay your dues. I did that during grad school. And when I graduated, I was managing contracts and people who were out there in the field doing what I had done during that, that time in grad school. So that ended up very beneficial for me. That's really interesting. I, I think uh, just a, so, so clever of you to have taken that situation, which you said could have been a sob story, but kind of flip it on its head and use it as a learning experience. And you were able to, I'm sure you still refer back to it even today and the work that you do. So just a, a, you know, a little example out there, you guys, of, of something that you can take that might seem like it's a challenge and it's, it's not a deficit, it's an asset is what I like to say. So one thing I think that's really cool about you, Melanie, is that you work for Kellogg, right? So you work <laughs> in the food industry and that's just one, we don't see a lot of people of color, women of color in this space. So that's why I definitely wanted to have you on the podcast to talk about that. So how did you get from where you were at in Tufts doing, you know, the work that you're doing with Bond and, and the work that you're doing in your classes and all that good stuff to where you are now working at Kellogg? So I was working at the California Department of Public Health on their African-American five-a-day program, five fruits and vegetables a day. I was there about a year. And that program, it was funded by SNAP, formerly known as Food Stamps. So we're trying to get people to eat more fruits and vegetables who are using SNAP. And about a year in, there was an opening with our retail program. Now, we had an African-American program. We had a Latino program. We had a retail program. We had a kids power play and worksite program. So we were attacking getting people to eat more fruits and vegetables, five different areas and touch points, we used to say. So anyway, retail program opened and one of the other managers said, hey, hey, Melanie, have you looked at the job description for this retail program? And I said, oh, no, 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 not interested. And he said, no, 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 you should, you should look at it. It looks great. And I said, no, I'm happy here. I'm doing my handouts. I'm a dietitian. It's great. Uh, getting Black people to eat more fruits and vegetables. Awesome. Thanks. No, thanks. And he just looked at me and said, Melanie, I need you to look at this job description. <laughs> so I give you that detail of that experience because having a sponsor is going to mm. be very important in your career. And a sponsor is different from a mentor. A mentor is going to teach you things. The sponsor is the person that basically puts you where you need to go, whether you know it or not. Hmm. They see something in you and they're able to help you open doors that, again, you may not be, be aware of. I learned later that he and two other managers had decided Melanie's got a lot of business sense, business acumen. This will be perfect. This is happening. So while I was wringing my hands on whether or not I wanted the job, it was a done deal. I interviewed and everything. And, and like I said, I only found all this out later. But that was my first foray into industry, really, while I was still in public health. And so my job was to partner with grocery stores and to help them do a better job promoting fruits and vegetables to their low-income shoppers. We created an entire in-store campaign, a shopper marketing campaign is the industry term, but we had in-store signage. We did you know, radio, PSA announcements. I helped with developing cookbooks, things of that nature. Ended up supporting all the other teams, but always with this, how do we reach people in the grocery store 
which required me to learn the produce industry and the supply chain and why are there food deserts and, you know, why we can't just go to a corner store and say, hey, you need to sell fruits and vegetables, you know, and understanding their profit margin and maybe why that's not happening and, and learning all of that, bringing it back to the Department of Public Health and saying, okay, guys, this is how we have to change how we change communities. We need a business case. Is good for your community? Isn't going to cut it. <laughs> and so that was me really, my, the beginnings of me learning industry, learning the produce industry, learning what it meant to make a business case for health and delivering that. I ended up having a staff, I had one direct report, 11 indirect reports throughout the state of California. We did some statewide PR events. It was great. And I reached this point where I was invited to a Culinary Institute of America uh, program where I was able to interact with people in actual industry. And I met the dietitian from Yum Brands and the dietitian from just a variety of, of different restaurants, grocery stores. And I remember speaking to the woman from Yum Brands uh, who owns KFC. And she had this dilemma at the time. They had just launched, if you remember it, oven, you know, roasted chicken, right? Yes. Oprah ate it. That. Everybody yeah. was excited. Hines yes. <laughs> around the corner. And she said, yeah, that was all great. Three months later, no one's buying the chicken. Yeah. And so her job was, she said, I, we've got these expensive ovens that we put in every single location, multi-million dollar project. And I need to figure out what else I can cook in these ovens because people aren't buying the chicken. And it was just an interesting situation. And it was an aha moment for me being in public health. Let's face it. There's a lot of finger pointing. And for me to see a dietitian in that role, trying to make a difference for the people who frankly, they're going to eat that food. They're going to KFC. She's trying to change what they're eating, what they get there. And that just opened, opened all sorts of possibilities for me. What would it be like to stop trying to change certain behaviors, but start changing the food people are just eating anyway? And, and what does that look like to have that impact on the food system? So fast forward two months, three months after that, a headhunter calls. Hey, we are looking for someone to run the new program for Kellogg Company. And I say, no. Now, most of my major changes in my career, positive changes in my career started with me saying no. So lesson to you out there, don't start with no. I finally, <laughs> I finally learned my lesson. Uh, but again, I was blessed to have people around me who kind of gave me a kick in the pants and were like, are, are you, this is ridiculous, Melanie, say yes. So anyway, through a series of events, I interviewed, uh, learned more about the job and Kellogg's was looking for someone to help them understand the WIC program, women, women infants, and children. And, you know, they, they really just didn't understand how to partner with the program. They had had someone work on it five years prior. They had left. It never really got picked up. And the president of Kellogg North America at the time, it was his passion project. He just woke up one morning and said, what are we doing about WIC? And so I got hired. Family moved out to Michigan, which was one of the reasons why I had said no. I'm in Northern California. <laughs> Northern <laughs> California. And I was like, I don't see myself leaving. But it happened. And I have been here since 2010. So that is how I made the switch from public health to industry. But again, I mean, I started getting in the industry while I was still in public health. And I, I think that's important to understand. My big takeaway in public health versus industry is the importance of understanding your consumer. There are a lot of assumptions we made in public health that, frankly, due to a lack of data, about why people were making certain decisions and therefore how, how we were going to help them and educate them. And there's a lot I've learned on the industry side about just knowing your consumer and how to, you know, help them, you know, 
figure out what it is they're trying to accomplish and offer them solutions and taking down barriers versus trying to entice them to do something. You know, what's getting in the way of you doing something will help you with that. So it's a different way of looking at the same person and eliciting behavior change. And I, I, I would say it's a very important lesson in public health. There's just a lot to be learned from how insights are used in industry and how they could be used in, in basically social marketing, right? Not social media, but you know, marketing for the sake of public health benefit as opposed to for commercial reasons. That's a lot. So I'm trying, yeah. I'm trying to say in process. <laughs> I'm, I'm on mute, so you don't hear me saying, hmm, hmm, like I'm just sitting here listening to you, but, but that's true. You, you, I think we, we sometimes put public health in a public health box and mm-hmm. don't think of it from the perspective of if you're working in industry, then you're working in public health, mm-hmm. that you're producing something that millions of people potentially are going to be consuming or using, or be touched by, or or something like that. And the Mm -hmm. influence that you can have based on that. So just really the uh, interesting perspective to to look at. So what do you do now, Melanie, for Kellogg? So I spent my first eight years of Kellogg, well, my first six years of Kellogg's purely only doing WIC. So uh, protecting our WIC portfolio by making sure our cereals that qualified you know, met the nutritional guidelines, going to conferences and really doing a lot of food marketing one-on-one training for public health staff. So, you know, what I said there about it's really important for public health to understand how to use shopper insights and the why behind the buy to, to elicit behavior change. I taught that for eight years to WIC staff and do the at conferences and things of that nature, creating educational materials helping our sales team understand the program, why it's important, why we should you know, pay attention to it, make sure we continue to make those foods. Then about three years ago, I started expanding into working with retail dietitians and again, supporting our sales team and working with them, you know, which foods did, that we made you know, could be used in their in-store activations and you know, how to find meal solutions. And you know, again, take down barriers to healthy eating and, you know, really help people figure out how to achieve their goals. So we have a lot of foods, you know, a lot of people think Kellogg's cereals, but we have Morningstar Farms, we have Kashi, RX Bar, Ego, things of that nature. So Nutrigrain. So, you know, there are a variety of foods that I would work with retail dietitians on to say, okay, how does this fit? And, and, and of course, cereal, you know, how does this fit? Well, let's talk about fruit and vegetable or fruit toppings. Or with Ego, let's talk about fruit-based toppings instead of syrup, things like that. So that was really fun for the last three years. And just recently this year, I have a, a new change in my role. We launched last year our new well-being strategy. And that is our company looking at well-being as a threefold thing. First of all, physical well-being, which most people can wrap their head around, right? Food that has a functional benefit. So whether it's digestive wellness, which is a really big focus right now, or, you know, heart health or whatever it is, some sort of known functional benefit from what you're eating. Then there's societal well-being. So the environment, sustainability, supporting U.S. farmers, recyclable packaging, things of that nature. You know, carbon footprint of our, you know, veggie foods versus buying meat, as well as our public health work. So everything I did in WIC, things we've done for Family Meals Month and SNAP and WIC, all of that would be under societal well-being. And, and then last but not least, emotional well-being. And I think a really good example of that would be you know, how people connect over food. There's a lot of research from the Food Marketing Institute about the benefits 
for children and really everybody of sitting down with your family for a meal at least three times a week. And a lot of that isn't even the food. It's kids watching this, learning social cues from their parents. It's parents being able to check in with their kids and all of those things that happen just because you're eating together at the same table. That'd be one example of emotional well-being. So my new role is to look at all three aspects of well-being and then help our brand leaders decide where those brands fit in well-being and, and then figure out, well, what does that look like as far as your food? What does that look like as far as your, your marketing or your PR campaigns and things of that nature? And really helping them accomplish their brand goals in a meaningful way for well-being. So I do this for all the cereal brands, all of our vegetarian brands. So it's Morningstar Farms, Garden Burger, and all of our cereal bar brands. So Nutri-Grain, Special K bars, things of that nature. So I've been doing that for two months. <laughs> it's going well so far, but very exciting and a fun opportunity. I've got a great team. So I'm really looking forward to how we really we're learning as we go this is as i mentioned a new strategy we launched last year and it's really fun working with all the brand teams and looking at what we've already been doing uh you know improvements we've already made to the food you know societal things we we've already done helping the brand see that as aspects of well-being and say okay now how do we do that on purpose and really march forward with that so it's it's a really fun opportunity oh, it sounds like it just so unique and different, I think, from anything I've ever heard any dietitian ever say. <laughs> so I, I just, it's, it's really, really interesting. I'm sure we have somebody who's sitting here right now listening to this podcast and saying, man, this sounds so interesting. And you obviously didn't start there overnight. You've been working as a dietitian for a few years. So if you had a student or an intern or a professional right now, maybe who's working in a different area, or who's just getting maybe touching, tipping their toe into the water of, of working in communications and working in the food industry, you had someone come up to you and say, you know what, Melanie, what do I need to do? What qualities do I need to have mm-hmm. to be able to be successful working in this space? What would you say to them? I would say, you know, big number one thing is knowing your shopper, knowing your consumer, understanding, you know, behavioral science to a certain degree. What is driving people to make the decisions that they're making? Once you have a really good handle on that, First of all, you, you'll, you'll cut out a lot of wasted time <laughs> in guessing, you know, what it is you need to do to help that person. But second of all, that really helps you key into insights and the difference between an observation, you know, this person is buying this and an insight is an insight is, oh, this is why they're doing that. Okay, now that I understand why they're doing that, and if we want to help them do this, what's that why? How do we lock into that? And again, I'd say that's as important, if not more, in public health as it is in an in industry. But I would say that's a very important thing to get into an in industry because even in industry, we do fall into these traps of, oh, well, I wouldn't do that. And we always have to remind ourselves, well, are you the shopper? No? Okay. Then that doesn't matter what you would do. Let's try and figure out the shopper. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so that's a very disciplined way of thinking that you've got to be able to lock into. And then also, too, just having an innovative spirit, a creative spirit, the way things are constantly changing in communications and food science, you know, how we can make foods, how we talk about them, who the influencers are from one year to the next. You've always got to have the ability to just kind of be a virtuoso and just figure out new ways to communicate and to connect with people so that your messaging is, is meaningful. And you have 
obviously you got a degree in communications. Would you suggest mm-hmm. that if someone doesn't have or nutrition communications, if they don't have that kind of a background too with their mm-hmm. education and training, should they pursue that in a formal fashion or is there a way that they can get that sort of oh. skill set in a different way? It's definitely great if you can pursue it formally. If not, you know, look for those classes you can take here and there. At Tufts, part of the nutrition communications program was a partnership with Emerson College where they had a marketing program. And so I actually wanted to do social marketing, but all the classes were filled. And so I just took plain integrated marketing and communications classes. And when we did a case study on, you know, Mercedes Benz, I think to myself, okay, physical activity. Or, you know, when we did a case study on Pepsi, I was like, carrots, you know, and just mentally going through and learning the, you know, discipline of marketing, but adding a health piece to it. So if you have any access to communications classes, even if they're not health, you know, get that discipline and, you know, you apply the health piece to it. That'll help you stretch that virtuoso, you know, innovative mindset of just figuring things out. So there's that. And then, you know, if you have a, during your dietetic internship, an optional rotation for my optional rotation, I worked at the California Farm Bureau in their communications department. And so now it's farmers, not, you know, the packaged food, but, you know, again, in communications, they're writing news stories and, and things of that nature, press releases, that was just great experience for me. So you can get creative in order to get those experiences that'll help you look towards industry. Very good and kind of direct information for a goal for, for like I said, students, interns, young professionals, mm-hmm. or professionals who want to pivot and in working into into this space. Yeah, or definitely look into retail dietitian, retail dietitians, and whether or not they've got some opportunities for interns to cycle through. I mean, that would be great to see both, because from that place you can see both the manufacturers and the retailers who are really the the customer of the manufacturers. So seeing that relationship is also very unique and it's a relationship most people are not aware of. It was a huge learning curve for me. My first year understanding that true relationship between a manufacturer and a retailer. Are there professional organizations or groups that these dietitians are in that people can go to? There's RDBA, the Retail Retail Dietetics Dietitian Business Alliance. So that's a pretty easy one to look up. You can see, and then they focus on being a retail dietitian. But again, if you want to get into food manufacturing, that's a great place to get exposure to that. As far as food manufacturing, alas, no. And I would say that is the one downside. You don't see a lot of support from A&D. Again, there's a lot of finger pointing. I think there are a lot of people who don't know what it's like to be a dietitian in food manufacturing. And, and, and as such, there are there isn't a lot of support for us. If I want to hone my skill, I'm looking within Kellogg to do that. So I would say that's the one, the one downside. And hopefully moving forward, there'll be more opportunities there. But that is one of the reasons why it would be hard to find a, a quote unquote food manufacturer or, or dietitians and food manufacturing group. Okay, good to know. But that, that one organization, the, the Retail Dietitians Retail Dietitian Business Alliance, Alliance. RDBA. RDBA. So that's the one you can start with. And then it sounds like maybe going out even there on LinkedIn and looking for dietitians who work in different areas in your local area. If you are a student who might want to see if you can do your your elective rotation or something like that, or intern, I mean, if you can do that and and shadow a dietitian or spend a couple of your weeks of your rotations with that 
person working in communications and they don't necessarily have to be, you know, working, I think for a food brand, there's people who yep. work for um, the checkoff. So the pork board or peanut board or the watermelon board Absolutely. or whoever it is, yep. they're all working in communications as well. So, so those folks might be, might be somebody that you work with too. Mm-hmm. And actually my last year, my grad school, I was a summer fellow with National Cancer Institute in their communications program. So I think it's more about, you know, really honing that communications piece. Obviously, you're bringing the the nutrition and the wellness with you just from your undergrad and and your dietetic internship and and your graduate degree, but really honing in on the communications piece and finding a way to then leverage that into industry if that's the direction you want to go into. Mm -hmm. I think it's just very cool and unique, just a, a, a really nice, different niche, but so important because you are producing content and touching the lives of so many families and children and, you know, older people and people who have different chronic diseases or acute, you know, diseases or conditions or things like that in the space that you're in and the, the influence that you have from your background and being able to say as a black woman that you're, like you said, even though you are a black woman, you, I think when we're a person of color, you're have a heightened awareness to all other people of mm-hmm. color yeah. and making sure that they get the, the, the best possible resources that they can get too. So you know, it's such a great niche for a lot of the students who are and interns, young professionals who are listening to this episode to think about going into, into this space. And we'll definitely put links in the show notes to all the different resources that Melanie mentioned today. Melanie, thank you so much for taking the time to take us, walk us down memory lane, first of all, with you. <laughs> that was fun. And then also giving us, you know, a little bit of, of, of tidbit into your your world. As I mentioned in the opening, Melanie does have an RDN spotlight on our blog. So you can see more about her and see her, her family, her cute kitties there. Mm-hmm. there. Her family's on there and her husband too. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> He's going to feel some kind of way. Her husband's there too. Okay. He was part of that, but, uh, but her beautiful family that's on there and also some other great pictures of her kind of being boss lady, I say, in the boardroom and some <laughs> of the work that she's doing. So thank you so much, Melanie, for your time today. I really appreciate it. No problem. It was great and fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you enjoyed our episode today, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review and a rating. You can also learn more about the Diversified Dietetics community by visiting our website, diversifieddietetics.org, or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Diversified Dietetics or on Twitter at DiversifiedRDN. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.